Hello everyone, this is your host Brian Sonnenstein and I'm here to bring you a new episode of Beyond Prisons. Today, Kim and I have a conversation about what we believe are best practices and things to keep in mind for journalists looking to improve their reporting on incarceration and related issues. Even if you're not a journalist, we think this is a conversation you should be in on because there are probably things we discuss that will help you read between the lines and evaluate media sources that cover these issues on your own. This is a subject we've touched upon here and there in past episodes and in the weeks since this year's prison strike, something we've been thinking about a lot. So consider this a starting point for getting these thoughts and ideas out into the open and developing a new paradigm for this journalism and encouraging a more critical analysis of reporting on these issues. I should also mention we are in the process of developing something that we are for now calling the Beyond Prisons Media Guide uh, that will encapsulate a lot of this conversation and that we hope to share with you all soon. We welcome your feedback and questions after folks take a listen. Uh, there's so much to say on this subject, so this will likely be something that we come back to in future episodes, and so I'll leave it there for right now. If you like our show, please help fund our work. You can sign up to give a few dollars each month at patreon.com beyondprisons. Please also take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. And make sure you're following us on Twitter at beyond underscore prison and at facebook.com slash beyondprisons. All right, thanks in advance for listening and supporting the show. Here's the episode. I mean, honestly, it feels like forever since I've done an episode with you. So this is awesome. I'm excited to be doing this again. Um, and before we jump into our conversation today, uh, which we're going to be talking about journalism and the media and covering uh, issues with the criminal punishment system and incarceration, um, we just wanted to give a quick shout out uh, to the prison strikers. Um, we had some big victories uh, in Florida and Colorado. In Florida, um, some, uh, some people with, who have had felony convictions um, had their voting rights restored. Um, there is a, a large group of people who did not, um, which is definitely an issue, but um, definitely progress for some people. And then in Colorado, we had uh, the um, abolition of prison slavery in the state so uh, I just wanted to point out that those two things could not uh, have happened without the momentum and the political education and uh, the hard pushing done by folks on the inside in those states and around the country, um, particularly around Operation Push and the prison strike. So um, I just wanted to say bravo and point out um, that work and that hard fought effort. So... Absolutely. Thank you for um, sharing that and for highlighting that. I completely, you know, wholeheartedly agree with uh, what you said. Um, I would also point folks to the discussion that we had earlier this year around Operation Push, which was instrumental in uh, the victory in Florida. Uh, mm -hmm. So if folks are interested, I think it's uh, episode 20. They should go and uh, check that out. But we're going to go ahead and dive right in. We're going to talk about um, the media, um, the media reporting on prisons and prisoners and, uh, you know, what the media has done um, 
well and what they could be doing much better. I know it's a difficult time to be jumping on the media, but what we're doing, at least in my view, is holding people accountable uh, for what they say that they want to do. They want to report on prisons and prisoners and, you know, feeding into the um, dominant narrative um, is deeply problematic. So hopefully today we can, you know, flesh out some of those, um, some of those things, some of the ideas that we've been talking about for weeks. Mm -hmm. And um, both Brian and I were invited to uh, speak to the CUNY School of Journalism to a group of students there, students and faculty, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we had the pleasure of doing that. And uh, there were a number of questions that came up that, you know, really uh, led Brian and I to talking more about these things and documenting, you know, what we were thinking. And we'd already started this process uh, during the prison strike. So we've been building on that. And hopefully uh, in the near future, we'll have uh, what we're calling the you know, beyond prisons media guide uh, for reporting on prisons and prisoners. Maybe we can find a s- shorter name for that. So, <laughs> you know, uh, quick and and pithy, but um, that's not my forte. <laughs> thoughts, Brian? Before we we dive right in. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought up CUNY. Um, this conversation is one that is has been sort of sprinkled throughout the podcast, past podcast episodes. Um, I know that independently uh, journalists, particularly independent and freelance journalists, have reached out to us and asked for our thoughts, um, particularly after and during the prison strike. Um, And, you know, after speaking to CUNY, one of the things that I, I kind of thought about was how, you know, like journalism isn't a monolith. It's not like one thing when we talk about journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, What I think we're going to talk about today for me, uh, I think is going to be the most useful, not only for people who read and consume a lot of news, but also for like the writers out there who, uh, you know, are earnestly looking to improve and do better and do sort of critical self-analysis about the work that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And to really understand like, you know, journalism is not just like relaying information. You know, it's like, um, it's, there's a lot of power involved in journalism and it matters what we do with that power. It's not like a neutral exercise. So yeah, I think, you know, one of the things, one place to start um, would be to sort of talk about um, briefly a conversation that we had with Maya Shenwar in the past, talking about the view from power Mm-hmm. This idea that objectivity, uh, this this sort of myth of objectivity in the media, right? And how a lot of the narratives that are taken for granted and, and um, supposedly objective are actually the view from power. It's the hegemonic narrative, um, the narrative being provided by the authorities that's sort of unquestioned and is like the foundation of uh of a lot of people's reporting. And that frame, I think, is a really important place to start. Um, So I don't know, I guess the last thing I say, Kim, before I let you jump in a little bit, is just that when we talk about the view from power and we're talking about authority and objectivity, literally when I'm talking about that in the context of reporting on prisons, I'm talking about the practice that we see a lot in journalism 
in this area of taking press releases, taking the comments um, from police and corrections officers and wardens and things like that. And even just the base assumptions that we have about, you know, that we talk about all the time on the show about who goes to prison, what happens at prison, you know, who are the good guys, quote unquote, who are the bad guys, quote unquote, um, and, and how that's sort of taken for granted. So um, just to start there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, for me, one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about in relation to this view from power, um, we know that view very well, right? And this is something that the media seems to, you know, play into is that that is what they're upholding, right? So they're upholding this dominant narrative. They're focusing on the story as it's always been told, right? And you know, for me, and this is how I feel about, you know, the podcast and uh, the work that we're doing. um, I want to tell different stories, right? That this is not, you know, the view from power, that the language that we use, how we talk about um, prisons and prisoners is something that matters. And I think that this goes beyond just journalism, that Mm -hmm. You know, these are issues that, you know, if you're if you're in school (laughs) and you're writing about prisons and prisoners, that this matters. Right. Like in uh, many programs, you know, it's taken for granted that prisons and, you know, are um, are the thing that we need. Right. There's Mm -hmm. no real questioning of that. Uh, And I think that, you know, that's what this episode um, aims to sort of address and tackle. And I know we've uh, enumerated a number of issues that we'd like to address. Um, I'm not sure we're going to get through all of them today, but I would hope that, you know, we can at least spark the conversation. And once we have the media guide ready, uh, we'll share it with, uh, with people, you know, on the website and uh, hopefully, you know, that can, um, that can help shift things in, you know, even a small way. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, for me, I I guess, um, you know, uh, related to the view from power is talking about prisoners as human beings, right? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's talk about prisoners are living, breathing, breathing human beings. And so are their families, right? And reporting, particularly around the strike or around, you know, crisis situations that happen in prison. um, Really, the the reporting, the writing um, that happens really dehumanizes prisoners, right? And it erases their lived experience and their story is not central to you know what journalists are trying to tell right and it's like okay if there's a crisis in the prison whose story are you believing right, right. whose story um you know whose voice is going to get heard uh and for me that's you know really an essential part of not just the view from power, but perhaps, you know, a different place to begin, a different entry point. Um, what what are some other thoughts that you have on this uh, on this issue? Yeah, um, definitely. And, and we're probably going to have to do like a bunch of episodes on this because I know that you and I can talk <laughs> okay. about this literally forever. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, j- uh, just sort of um, sounding off on some of the things that you just raised. 
Um, you know, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about and, and talking um, with people about has been, I'm beginning to recognize, and, and maybe this is silly and, and I shouldn't say beginning to recognize, but I am beginning to recognize the degree to which the concept of power dynamics is totally missing from sort of like the, the frame in which reporters approach their work and their beats. And maybe, maybe they do have, uh, you know, sort of a sense of power dynamics, but it just flows from the top down <laughs> instead of from the bottom up, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I don't want to like completely take away that agency and that decision-making on behalf of reporters. But again, going back to people who are trying to do better and who want to, to sort of think more critically about how we approach this work, I think for me, the one of the first things that we have to do is is really think about power dynamics and the way that power flows, all the different ways that power manifests itself, um, and how power shapes the words that we use. So when, so like you were saying, we're talking about uh, recognizing the humanity of prisoners. I mean, I personally, part of my like my education away from all of sort of the bullshit that I was brought up, you know, ingesting about prisons and crime and all of that has been to almost, it has been to really just try to use the word incarcerated people as much as I can. Um, because I think when you start, you know, you have to recognize that humanity and, and find everywhere in your brain where, sort of that prejudice is lying uh, and eradicate it. And I think when you start to do that, you start to recognize like, oh yeah, like, you know, you, you start to see the directions in which power flows. And then that starts to inform the frames that you take on your reporting and the assumptions that you make about your reporting. Um, and again, the language that you use. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but I just want to say that like, thinking about, uh, and this isn't just exclusive to incarceration and prison issues. I'm, I'm saying in general, I think we could all benefit from incorporating more of an analysis of power in our choices, in our frames, in our reporting, in our storytelling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with, you know, everything you just said. I think that um, the the use of particular words, um, and this is something that, you know, I see across the board, even from, you know, more lefty kind of organizations, um, is the word inmate, right? Mm -hmm. And the word inmate um, traditionally is, you know, carries a very negative connotation, refers to, you know, the um, people that were in mental hospitals uh, and doesn't really capture with precision the fact that people are imprisoned against right. their will. We're not talking about, you know, their conviction, um, their past activities that led to them, you know, being in prison. That's a different conversation. We're just talking about how we, you know, or we in speaking in general terms, uh, describe incarcerated people, right? right? So I use the term incarcerated people or prisoners uh, as opposed to, you know, 
inmates or convicts or felons and, you know, all these horrible terms. And those are terms that, you know, um, exist everywhere. They're in the literature. They're in, you know. Something just really quickly that I just learned a couple weeks ago. uh, The New York Post in their actual style guide. I I mean, don't quote me on this. This is something that I heard. But if you read the New York Post, you will see this appear everywhere, but they use words like jailbirds. I mean, oh. fucking jailbirds. Are you fucking serious? It's, I, it's a 1920. You know what I mean? Like, it, I, it, I, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that language it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's not, I mean, all things aside, I think what makes it so dangerous, one of the things that makes it so dangerous, and I guess what we're really getting at is that it's objectifying, right? It's taking people and it's turning them into objects. Uh, and then, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like it's when people start- I mean, I agree with you. It's objectifying yeah. and it's dehumanizing. Exactly. And if we go back to the point, you know, that I made at the beginning that, you know, we, we tend to treat prisoners as if they're not human, mm-hmm. right? And that dehumanization takes place, you know, throughout, you know, people's writing, right? So for speaking about journalism specifically, um, and I'm thinking also more broadly in terms of academic work, policy reports, and things like that, that I read all the time, um, inmates is, you know, seems to be the preferred terminology. And Mm -hmm. I know even in, you know, academically, um, in my own work or my research when I was in, in graduate school, um, I had issues with, with the term. I didn't quite know at the time what else, you know, should be used, but I knew that the word ex offender was just not something that, you know, like I'm writing it and there was no assistance. There was like no help in terms of, you know, anyone who was advising me who could say, okay, maybe that's not the term that you want to use. Like I knew in my heart, in my gut, my soul that that wasn't okay. Um, But I also didn't have a different model. And this is something that I think, you know, we can acknowledge, like we need to learn how to acknowledge our own failures and fuck ups. Um, And the fact that, you know, many of us are unlearning a lifetime of, you know, these messages. And I think that that's part of this work. I mean, we were roundly, we were, you, Jay, and I were roundly critical of how the media was handling um, the the strike uh, or not handling the strike, you know? And I think that this is one of those issues uh, that came up. Like this is, this is what we call the, the cultural work that right. takes place, right? So the messages that are being sent out, you know, why do people not look at prisoners like they're human beings? Well, we read, we consume, we watch television and, you know, other forms of media. And we're getting messages all the time that these people don't deserve our attention, that they right. don't deserve our care, that what they deserve is being in prison and whatever happens to them is okay. You know, and this is what we're challenging um, through, you know, through this, uh, not just this conversation, but but this media guide that we're putting together. Um, right. And not only that they're, and not only that, you know, 
that they should be there and they deserve all it. But like, you know, going back to what we're saying about, about the word choice, like, I think we, you know, another thing that like we as a society take for granted is all of the baggage and assumption that comes with these terms and then that how that serves as dog whistles to your readers. So whether, even if, even if you are trying to report, you know, from, um, from a better place, you know, if you're using words like felons and ex-convicts and, and things like that, even, even if it's in the context of quote unquote, like a reform piece, mm-hmm. you are, you are sending dog whistles to your readers Absolutely. to immediately distrust, to be skeptical. Um, you know, you're introducing a whole bunch of baggage into your reporting that, there's no justification for it, you know, and this is during the strike was was my major issue with places like the Marshall Project. I know that we talked, touched on this in the prison strike episode, so I'm not going to go over it in in too much depth here, but, you know, the way these things, um, they, like I said, you have to be very mindful about how your readers are going to ingest this material and what certain words are going to raise alarms in their head and and be like, oh, yeah, OK, I know who we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, we we were talking to students uh, the other day and we we're talking to a, a special group of students. Um, you know, these are uh, they in a program that focuses on, you know, uh, what is it called? Social justice or community um journalism social journalism and you know they're really working on these issues they're really working to not just learn new ways of thinking but unlearn the old ways right because those things are so deeply ingrained and uh you know for me that's uh one of the lens or that's the lens that many reporters are using tells us a lot about who they think matters in these stories, right? So if you're saying, you know, felons or you're saying, you know, convicts or heaven forbid, you know, someone in 2018 uses the term jailbird, um, you know, (laughs) it's, it's just, you are, you are doing the work of, you know, saying, okay, these people don't deserve to be treated like human beings, right? I don't know how else to really, you know, to really put that. Um, and one of the things that that I raised in that conversation that we had um, at CUNY was, you know, that we need to find different ways to analyze this problem, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of work that needs to happen in terms of, you know, knowing what questions to ask and who to ask. Um, is part of the work that I think journalists need to do better, right? And it's not just something that you jump on um, when there's a crisis situation, that you need to be invested in, as as we call it, you know, this beat, right? Right. So if prisons and prisoners um, are your beat, you, you know, if, if you're trying, right? Because I'm not assuming that, you know, all journalists are abolitionists or right. even, you know, um, on a path to abolition. Uh, you know, it's like, but they are picking a side when they write about these stories the way that, you know, in ways that support the dominant narrative and thinking uh, about people in prison. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you know, maybe this is a good place to start to talk a little bit about how to sort of cultivate those relationships and and get close to these communities and and not just sort of treat it like, you know, places where you, you know, basically like a lot of times I feel like a lot of r- reporters uh, treat communities impacted by incarceration like they're a mine. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's like, uh, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore these people. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm not going to talk to them, you know, in my normal life or get to know them. But when I'm, there's a story that comes out, then I'm going to go rush to them and demand like a comment out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the things, some of the things that I personally have found really helpful um, is, and I mean, it seems to me, like, on the one hand, I feel like I shouldn't even need to say this, but like, honestly, you need to be patient and transparent and build trust with the people and the communities that you're covering, get to know them on a personal level way before you actually start reporting and like mm-hmm. using, them. you know, you, you have to like cultivate these relationships, get to know people, you know, check out your lo- local organizations start bookmarking and following online support groups and forums of which there are many like all over Facebook and all over the internet, you will find uh, parents and loved ones of incarcerated people sort of forming these, these small communities online so that they can share information and have their own networks outside of what information the prison is giving people on a one-to-one basis because I think we've talked about this in past episodes and and it has everything to do with what we're talking about now, that control over information and Mm. that that enforced silence and all of those things make these, these outside networks so important. And so you have to, you know, and you can't just parachute in and be like, Oh, Hey, uh, tell me, tell me everything. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I think that, you know, one of the, the concerns that I have and I, I manage, uh, several, you know, um, groups, social media groups, um, is that, you know, someone, some reporter or someone will just kind of pop in, not be forthright, you know, for, um, upfront about who they are, why they're there. Right. And just using the group as a way to, you know, get a story or, um, you know, information about individuals, uh, which is why I keep most of the groups or the the handful of groups that um, I manage um, secret uh, because it's really like I have to know who's for me, at least I'm interested in knowing who's in a group and you're not just getting in because you find this really cool. Right. right. And as someone who does have, you know, um, loved ones in prison, um, I, I tend to look at, you know, I tend to generally have, um, <laughs> I think, uh, a distrust of uh, journalism <laughs> in general. Um, and <laughs> and Not I get good frustrated. Reason. Right. Exactly. I mean, but, uh, you know, I, I just want to raise that because you're, uh, you know, uh, suggesting that folks, uh, you know, find a group and, and things like that, that there are going to be things that they encounter that I feel like, you know, if we're doing this um, to to help people understand or improve, that they're going to encounter that kind of thing. I mean, you oh, and I, absolutely. you yeah. and I met 
you know, during the um, the the Vaughn uh, rebellion uh, a couple of years ago now and almost a, a couple of years ago now. And mm-hmm. you were one of the few reporters that I was willing to talk to. Um, but I also, you know, I also checked you out um, and, you know, it's like, oh, OK, you're you're legit. You're doing this thing. This is something that you're interested in. You're not writing about it, you know, from uh, this dominant narrative uh, perspective. You're not dehumanizing people. You're actually in this. And that made that made all the difference because I had, you know, um, a bunch of media requests uh, during the rebellion because I'd been tweeting about, you know, my um, my experience and what I know about Delaware prisons and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from my sons being there. So, you know, people were interested, but they, not everybody could do the story totally. um, in, in my view. But um, I think, you know, one of the things that comes up for me, and this is something I have on my list, is that, you know, and you said this earlier, but I want to expand on it, um, that writing about prisons means more than just giving people a laundry list of facts, right? right. Um, that context matters, right? And that the broader story of carcerality, uh, and, you know, the making of connections to other issues such as race, class, gender, you know, poverty, um, et cetera, is part of contextualizing and telling that story. And that means you're doing a lot of work beyond just looking at this little, you know, this isolated issue that's happening over here. If you're trying to analyze and write about prison crises, you know, in isolation of everything else, you're not doing this well. You're doing a disservice to what is really taking place because the story is much more complicated um, and requires a lot more work. I mean, it really does. You have to read broadly. You have to try to understand all of these other issues and how they're interconnected. And I think that that that's part of the work that's required. And frankly, so many of the people who were writing um, on the strike just didn't seem to get it. And if they did, they ignored it and just didn't care and did a horrible job with it. Totally. I absolutely agree. Um, and just to circle back to, to what you were just saying before that, really briefly, I 100% agree with what you're saying um, on the issue of, um, like, from your side of it, not, like, not necessarily trusting and, like, and like, let me put it this way for the journalists out there, you have got to prove yourself and you have to be ready for rejection. Like, you know, you, like you said, you checked me out, you decided you trust me and you would talk to me. You, you know, it's not always like that. Uh, and especially like earlier on when I was writing, I certainly ran into that all the time. And you just, you have to understand it and be fine with it and just dedicate yourself to doing the work and the writing and and producing the material that is going to have people trust you and you're going to get rejected. So, um, yeah, I mean, you it's know, like, I whole completely agree with you on that. You know, because when, when you're approaching, if you're approaching a family member or, you know, a loved one um, with, you know, intent of getting, you know, their thoughts on the story, I mean, you have to understand that, you know, we're going through something in that moment, 
Absolutely. right? That we're, <laughs> we probably haven't talked to our, you know, person inside or people inside. Um, we're concerned about their safety. We're dealing with all of the emotional things that are happening because of, you know, whatever crisis. And, you know, I'm not uh, trying to lump the prison strike in as a crisis, but the retaliatory efforts that were um, taken against, you know, organizers or uh, people who were perceived to be organizers um, really did create a crisis, right? Because a lot of places went into lockdown mode. Um, Mail was either slowed down or not received at all, right? So there were a lot of things that happened um, that are of consequence to us on the outside, right? So now you have some random, you know, person who wants to tell the story, quote unquote, and, you know, they're approaching you and they have really no clue in terms of, you know, what that conversation should be as if we should just be grateful for the airtime or, you know, totally. to get our name in, in the story. I'm like, fuck, we're talking about people's lives here. Yeah. Like <laughs> these are, you know, the, for me, these are my sons and, you know, my, my sons have uh, too many friends in prison to even name. Um, so I think about all of them and they're spread around in different States. And I know other people unrelated to, you know, my, my own, um, my own family uh, that are in prison. So, all of these things play into one, how I might or might not <laughs> respond to you. Um, right. You approach me, you know, if you approach me sideways and I think that, you know, maybe that's, that's a separate conversation um, yeah. in terms of, you know, how we, how we deal with that. I, I want to talk about, um, I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but I want to shift gears. Yeah. Oh, so, well, I, I was going to go back to what you were saying before I switched back. <laughs> I, just really quickly, um, to, put a, to put a bow on that, like, absolutely, if you're a reporter and you have any sense of, like, an entitlement to any of this information or these relationships, you're, you're, you got it completely wrong. Um, and I completely agree with what you said. And then just quickly um, going to what you were saying uh right before that, when you were talking about the broader context and researching and the history, I think that that is a critically important part of it. Um, and something I had in my notes too, um, you know, you, for instance, like you, like just taking, um, like, uh, like taking Rikers Island, just as an example of like a facility, you can't, you can't just start reporting on something that's happening on Rikers Island now without taking the time to do all of the research on like everything that's been going on at Rikers Island going back for years. Like mm -hmm. who, you know what I mean? Like these are not stories where you can just show up and, and pick up where it is. Like yeah. in, you have to have that context. And yeah. then even outside of the facility, you know, like, you know, understanding um, the dynamics of race and class and geography and all of these things I think is also incredibly important. And then the last thing I'll say, um, and then I'll hand it back to you so you can switch gears, is that uh, I, I just wanna underscore the importance, particularly in this area of journalism, of always seeking to challenge the premise because, mm -hmm. uh, and, and we've kind of already touched that on, on, that, on that in this conversation, but 
Um, it's just another thing that I find is really helpful to be mindful because there is so much like brainwashed bullshit out there and like assumptions um, when really so many of the premises on which these institutions operate and the norms that uphold them operate, those premises fall apart upon inspection. But the thing is that a lot of people, particularly journalists, don't take the time to challenge those premises in their reporting. So, mm -hmm. sorry, mm -hmm. what were you saying? No, that's, <laughs> I, no, that's right. I mean, I think that, that, you know, that's absolutely important to to uh, to say, and I'm glad you said it. Um, you know, I, I, we're not going to get through this entire list. I mean, I know you have a number of points that you've developed, and I've been working on this, and I have, you know, probably 27. Um, oh, actually, no, it's more like 30. Um, 30 or more points uh, that I've come up with, you know, regarding uh, how the media can improve, right? And what right. you can do better and highlighting this, um, you know, examples and things like that. Um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to, to talk about, because I think it comes up over and over and over again, is that, you know, prison officials always operate within the policies of the prison. Right. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> there is never any questioning about whether, you know, something that took place in a prison goes against prison policy because they will always say, well, that's prison policy. Right. right. So, you know, there's not a real vigorous questioning of, you know, what these policies are. I mean, you know, uh, it, we do this also with with the police, uh, right? There's unquestioning support um, from a lot of people, um, not just journalists, but other folks in the community about what happens, you know, in the prison. So if someone, you know, if a CO or, you know, someone in the prison does something to a prisoner, well, that was policy. Right. It's always, you know, that's mm -hmm. the that's the default position um, that they tend to take. Right. And when we're talking about, you know, these. Uh, these examples um, that tend to go on challenge. Right. Um, it, no one is really asking. Right. What falls, you know, what. If this is a policy shouldn't we be examining the policy, right? Right. Calling the policy into question, because if everything falls within the policy, then, you know, then we have a problem. We can never actually challenge or work within that system. And I think that this is something that, you know, goes back to the prison strike. And, you know, it's like just even, you know, bringing, um, bringing up grievances, right? How do you challenge something if the policy always covers the, the people in power, right? Yep. If the people that are holding you in custody are protected by these policies, then we have a problem, right? And challenging this, I think, is part of doing, you know, uh, if we want to call it the prison beat, um, because it does. It goes to the heart of, you know, the, the institution, um, and, you know, in this way, journalists are not just acting as, you know, a mouthpiece for the prison or for, you know, whatever warden or other prison official um, is coming out and saying, OK, well, you know, maybe the policy is a problem. I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? No, I completely agree. Um, you know, I think from my point of view, you know, when it comes to prison policies, it's like. You know, on the one hand, it's like it's the way that um, 
that that prison officials justify the abuse and violence and mistreatment that uh, you know should shock our senses sort of naturally, but it becomes routinized and it becomes bureaucratized into a system, you know, into policies written on paper, um, and that makes it you know okay. And like some these policies, like the policies, a lot of the times are just on their face ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. just to give one example, uh, recently I was writing about um, Sadiqe Hassan, who's uh, incarcerated on death row in Ohio. He has been facing all kinds of retaliation for speaking out publicly about the prison strike. Um, and as a result, he was hit with like a series of um, rules violations. And when you look at the, the actual list of rules in Ohio, and yeah. one of the one of the rules that he was on top of all the you know there's like he quote unquote incited a riot which of course is like to any person looking at what happened totally not true like so on and so forth so you have these things that are just like overbroad and used in the most absurd terms but it's like that's the rule and so yeah, exactly you know, like, I mean is. but then there's also like there was a rule one of the rules that he was charged with breaking was a rule that said you can't break any rules. Literally. Like, literally, I'm not even kidding you. I will put this in the fucking episode notes. The, the rule, the last thing he was charged with was a violation of any prison rule was one of the fucking rules. I mean, it's... it's- Oh my God, it's it's infuriating. I mean, one of the um one of the things that came up over the last couple of weeks in, um you know, uh, in this facility... Um, and I, I'm not going to name the facility. I don't. I don't want to bring um, harm to anyone mm. I know on the inside. But um, the toilets, right? Like clogging up a toilet is considered a violation of prison policy, right? Like clogging up a toilet can be it, it can get you sent into the hole, right? Like that. They consider that. Um, Perhaps not a riot, but, you know, something on par with, you know, you're upsetting the the rules or, you know, you're trying to start some shit um, by clogging oh the toilets. But they have but they have the toilets on timers. So you can only flush a toilet once every five minutes. No, like this is people have no idea the level of bullshit that people are having to endure inside. Like it it just, and all of this is covered under policy, right? So it's like, this is why if we started enumerating all of the policies and and things that are, you know, quote unquote policies, um, man, we would have like, you know, a a hundred episodes filled up with, you know, with just that. But go ahead. I want to hear what you had to say. No, I well, I was just thinking like, you know, all of these policy or not all of them. I mean, obviously, depending on what you're talking about, but a lot of them go back to this like incredibly nebulous and self-serving idea of order and security in mm-hmm. an institution. Um, and that's I mean, right there to me, that's where like a lot of these policies show themselves as being total bullshit because they have nothing to do with anything even close to what. I don't even know what to say. It's just the, a lot of these policies all flow back. And anytime you try to, to challenge them or question them, that is sort of the justification. Absolutely. Um, and Absolutely. it's, it's completely think, absurd. 
And related to that, I mean, I think that another thing that reporters, journalists um, doing working this beat can do is recognize the fact that, you know, patterns of abuse and violence that have happened in prison have never been uncovered because officials have come forward and said, look, we've been abusing people in prison. Like this has come because people on the inside have, you know, worked, you know, diligently and to their own detriment oftentimes to get those stories out. Right. And they have shared those stories with people on the outside who have been able to, you know, um, get them support and further amplify their voices and let folks know. But, you know, the reason the public knows about things like the poor health conditions, the lack of adequate food, abuse by prison guards, you know, uh, et cetera, is because people on the inside have been the ones who have been reporting on this. Right. Mm -hmm. So the idea that people on the inside are not accurate, you know, storytellers of their own lived experience is absolute bullshit, right? Absolutely. <laughs> we need to begin with, you know, with that. Um, I think, you know, one helpful thing, and you and I talk about this all the time, that journalists can do if they're really interested in um, addressing, you know, patterns of abuse is uh, to file records requests. Right. And to challenge officials that deny that abuse is taking place. Right. And, you know, believe and trust prisoners and their loved ones. Like you can't just be dismissive or say, well, you know, the the thing that really irritates me is that they'll bring up, you know, if they if they quote a loved one in a story, they try to find a way to make that person look really bad or, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of shady. Right. Like, oh, well, this person, you know, had this past history or something like that. And I'm like, what are you doing? And you wonder why loved ones don't want to talk to you. Like, if that's where you're coming from with this, um, you have a lot of work to do. But I feel like, you know, the the records request and we should definitely do an episode um, on the records request. Because I think that's an important thing. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, Anyone can file a request for record. Like you don't, yep. you don't need special credentials to, you know, to get access to public records. You may not get them, or you may get them, you know, in a redacted fashion, or you know, they may deny your request several times before you actually get the documents. But you can ask for these documents, and I think that that's part of what you should do if you're doing this beat. Absolutely. I mean, in my reporting. You know, because uh, cause to what you said, like a lot of times your requests will be just ignored or they, they'll they cite some ridiculous exemption because they're counting on you to give up, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something, you know, again, for, for like all the journalists out there, I really think that, uh, you know, enough is enough. And like this has been going on for so long, sort of like the acceptance of this uh opacity mm-hmm. in prisons and i really i do believe i think that journalists need to do a much better job especially journalists who have resources and they have legal departments and they have attorneys at their publications um yeah. you know like there needs to be more solidarity there in, ch- in challenging this opacity because on a one-to-one basis it's very difficult and i can tell you the times that i have had an attorney 
even just send a letter of intent to sue or just send sort of like a tersely worded letter, you get the goods. Like yeah. they're, they're banking on you to give up and to give up. Absolutely. And, and then the other thing is that, you know, in terms of, of bringing the public into what this is really like, because again, like we've talked about so many times on this show, like the public just doesn't see how these things work for the most part. I have I have really started to put the process of of getting these absurd denials and being ignored into my pieces. So yeah. if there is something that is like just so that that it should be public knowledge, it is public. Like it technically under the law, it is a, like a public uh, property of the public and something that I should have access to as a journalist. And I get ignored, or I don't, or like I said, there's an exemption that they cite. I start putting that in my piece that that Absolutely. the Department of Corrections uh, never replied to our request for this information. Mm-hmm. They they uh, you know again going back to to the example of Hassan like the um, you know they charged him uh, you know saying that this phone transcript like a transcript that they had from his conversation using like the GTL phone service that he had mm-hmm. with somebody on the outside. So they quoted one sentence from that and said completely out of context and said that that was incitement of a riot. And yet they refused to release it. They refused yeah. to release the transcript, you know, and they cite all these ridiculous exemptions that are absolute bullshit and, and doesn't take any expert to know that. Um, and so I honestly think journalists, like you have to start putting that process, even if it seems maybe boring to you or like it's not germane to the story it is germane to the story you well, know is, this it, control of, of information of, yeah it's, it's part of the the story and rather yeah. than cleaning it up and doing the work for them of obscuring that from the rest of the world you reveal that you know right. you shed light and you highlight that thing you know why it was so difficult for you to get this or why you didn't get this information and how that contributes to you know, this overall kind of culture of silence, right? And this yep. monopoly on uh, over information that, you know, prisons and prison officials have. Like, this is part of doing this work. I know that um, we're running up on time here. Um, and I want to want to respect that. But um, we have so much more that, you know, uh, to say around this. And I uh, expect that, you know, we'll be doing a second part to this episode um, because, you know, I, we're just getting started. I know I, <laughs> I, I still want to talk about, you know, the, the precarity of freelance journalism, um, oh, yeah. how that makes reporting on this beat really difficult. I want to talk about um, the uh, the way that um, outlets don't really have a range to talk about the material conditions inside of prisons. Um, I want to talk about, you know, how journalists that do this um, well and are able to write and talk about, you know, a range of different topics. Um, I want to highlight those things as well. And, you know, there's on and on and on. I mean, I feel like, you know, also very quickly, um, who tells these stories matters, right? Mm-hmm. So there, this nonsense thinking around, you know, being bias free or that, you know, you're a neutral party and you're just, you know, reporting facts. That's bullshit. You're not just yeah. reporting facts when you're using language that supports the dominant narrative. You're claiming to be bias free, right? And that's like a whole different story um, or a whole different conversation that I feel like we need to have. Um 
we also didn't get time. I wanted to talk about um, how journalists describe, you know, uh, mentally ill prisoners. Mm -hmm. um, and this, I mean, we could do three, four episodes on, on this topic alone, but I think that, yeah. you know, this is something that we also need to talk about. Um, and there's, there's so many other issues as yeah. well. I mean, I think, um, you know, we're, we're just getting started. We're, like I said, we're putting together this media guide, um, for reporting on prisons and prisoners and hopefully, you know, folks can take a look at it. Um, you know, give us feedback if you're inclined, um, you know, it's, and let's see if we can really build something here that folks can share, um, and distribute and look to as, you know, a model for how you might want to do this work. I mean, not everybody is going to be interested in doing, reporting from this perspective like this is a very yeah. particular lens that we're using uh to talk about prisons and prisoners and i think that that's an important part of you know um of, of what we're attempting here so yeah Brian, do I mean, you have you any know, final thoughts yeah i just uh well i have a lot of a lot of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> we should end it there you know i i just think that you know like you're saying this is a, a very particular lens it's also very time and labor uh, consuming work and it doesn't fit in, um, you know, we've mentioned this before, it doesn't fit in a news cycle. And so, you know, you really have to be ready to sort of buck those, those um, aspects of, of journalism in 2018 in order to do the work to the, to the best ability that you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's so, really easy yeah. to try to do the hot take, but, you know, here we are, it's the beginning of November and, you know, we're a couple of months removed from the end of the strike, the official end of the strike. And we're still talking about this and processing it and coming yeah. up with so many different things. I mean, um, we haven't even talked about the, the prison strike workshop yet and how that relates to all of this, but we'll do that yeah. in the next. Episode. I would just say, you know, people out there who are interested in doing this work or who are doing it and I want to do it better, like, you know, just getting to your last point and then we'll end here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, ask yourself why you're doing this work. Ask yourself who you're doing it for, who's your audience, you know, what, what, why are you doing it? You know what I mean? Like, and, and I think that when you start asking those questions and, and talking to people about them, um, I, I think it's very, uh, you know, informative. So well, thank let's you. end it there before we go on and go on. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we definitely, we, we could, I mean, there will be more on this. So. We don't have, you know, there's never a shortage of conversation here. But, um, well, Brian, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Um, I'm glad we did this. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll do a part two and maybe a part three um, on this. And uh, we'll get the media guide out as soon as, you know, as soon as possible. And, uh, and we look forward to hearing, you know, your thoughts on this. So take care. Take care.